Sportsnet 590, the fan bandana is Brent Gunning. Leafs Capitals, 6 o'clock tonight. Leafs trying to string together back-to-back victories after a pretty impressive comeback on Saturday against the Tampa Bay Lightning. The Caps off to a rough start. Specifically, Alex Ovechkin has not scored a goal through his first four games of the season. He's never started a season with five straight games without a goal, but he's also never had back-to-back games without a shot on goal, which Mm. he's already done this season. He's number two all-time in NHL goal goal scoring, uh, 822 behind Wayne Gretzky's 894. Um, It is Austin Matthews. And Connor McDavid, both tied for 214th. You realize they both have 305 goals? They're they're tied with 305 goals? I did not realize that. I'm always super aware of Matthew's career totals, and part of it is that he's just ended seasons on nice, not round numbers. Like, he ended with 299 last year, so I knew the 300 was going to be the first one this year. He's had other weird... Uh, seasons, if I'm remembering, where it's a nice kind of even number at the same time. So, yeah, it's what happens when you score goals in either 60 or 40 is you tend to have even numbers at the end of seasons. But, yeah, surprised. Yeah, yeah. he and, and McDavid with 305, and he's just slightly behind Ovechkin's goal-scoring pace, but this could mm. be the season where he gets back to or gets up to even with Ovechkin because he went through a lockout during this point in his career, the same number of seasons that Matthews is into his, his career. And and obviously, as your people are well aware, Oz Matthews has been the best goal scorer in the National Hockey League. Overall, since mm-hmm. he stepped onto a National Hockey League ice surface, and it's not close five on five. But you got the two of the greatest goal scorers going right now uh, tonight in Ovechkin and Austin Matthews. Like, how long does this have to go for Ovechkin before you start thinking maybe decline? Maybe, maybe that... You know, hanging around to 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 finally take over the all-time number one goal-scoring spot in NHL history that might not happen. Oh, I think those are very different things. I could see Alex Ovechkin, so long as it's not, you know, a charity case, so long as he's a 20-goal man, I could see him hanging around as long as necessary to, to do it. And quite honestly, with the shot he has, and I know it hasn't shown itself yet this year, but, you know, a lot of things go away overnight your your ability to unleash like that doesn't completely evaporate overnight in one off season so i'm not writing him off yet but i don't know if you told me he scored his last or he's had his last 40 35 goal season i don't think that's heresy to to say that guys slow down so you're definitely seeing it and the other thing with ovechkin is that we have to keep this in mind with him and all goal scorers are this way we criticize all of them for it but they're all this way they're streaky if he still has it in the tank and he might not have the full hundred percent of it, but there is still a great goal scorer in there. I believe he's going to have his, you know, six, six goals in a week and a half or his four goal week or whatever it is where he gets himself kind of back. That's how all these guys go. We've seen it with Matthews. He's streaky the same way. That's what goal scorers are. So I'm not, I'm not completely pouring dirt on him, but yeah, if you told me the ceiling was 30 goals now, I believe that. Yeah. It's, it's a capitals team that, you know, even, well, and this is part of it. Alex Ovechkin isn't scoring, neither are the Capitals. <laughs> they've, they've averaged barely over one five-on-five goal per 60 minutes this season. They just have not scored. And Joseph Wall des- deserves to start in tonight's game after his incredible relief performance on Saturday for mm-hmm. Elias Samsonov, and they came back and, and won the hockey game 
It would have been a nice get-right game for Ilya Samsonov, though, against his former team. You rightly pointed out that Samsonov he against nervous. his former he team. So. Is, uh, he did, that's not necessarily what you want to hear. Mm-mm. What you want to hear is like Max Domi talking about how Joseph Wall is so calm and, and cool and collected that he reminds you of Carey Price. You don't want to hear about the guy saying, yeah, yeah. I'm nervous in a regular season game against... Uh, lo- didn't love that. No. <laughs> I did the thing last year. Where I talked myself into it, saying, "No, it's good. He's invested." Yeah. Uh, and then he got shellacked in that one. So I'm, I, I actually, I'd be fine if we never saw Samsonov start against Caps again in his Leaf tenure. Yeah, well, which you, might end after this year. Honestly, entirely possible. Trending in that direction. All right. What are your biggest concerns with this Leafs team? It's, it's a different conversation. Like again, if the Leafs lose that game on Saturday, despite outplaying the Lightning for the sixty mm-hmm. plus minutes, it's, it, yeah, it's easy. To, to talk about concerns, but they came all the way back, a couple of Matthew Nye's goals, and I think we can, for one game at least, yep. scratch off Max Domi on the list of, like, high-priority concerns. Like, where where are the, the, the top-level concerns for you for this Leafs team? I still think the number one top-level concern has to be the blue line and just the total level that you're able to get from it. I do like the reshuffling of the deck chairs that, that Sheldon Keefe did. I think it looks better, but it's it's kind of like, you know me decorating my house. It's like, oh, am I going to move the milk crate over here? Guess what? It's mm. still a milk crate in the corner. doesn't look great. Okay, pal? That That is some of the pieces. That's Mark Giordano, unfortunately, with him at the advanced age he's at. And look, he has played commendably this year, but there's not going to be a better version of him in January or February or March or April when the games really, really matter. Connor Timmons coming back isn't going to fix anything there. That is still far and away the number one concern is just how your decor shakes out. Should it rue its head too much tonight? No, it shouldn't because of everything you laid out about the Capitals there. But I think when you just look at this team, that is still far and away number one. Yeah, I don't know if that one's going away. Like, that's no. not one that can no. be solved. That's If I'm thinking of, yeah, a, a concern that is going to continue up until the trade deadline and hopefully for the Leafs' sake, not beyond, it's it's that. That's not likely to get better. One of the things I, I think can get better and I think, honestly, it probably starts in goal is the penalty kill, which mm-hmm. is Hey, special teams have been good for the Leafs. I think despite the fact that, like, the overall numbers for the power play have looked at, it just eye test-wise, it looks dangerous. Mm-hmm. It, it really does look dangerous. Um, penalty kill looks dangerous for the opposition. And, like, it's only a couple of percentage points down from a season ago, 76% as opposed to 81% a season ago. And Austin Matthews, I know the power kill looks great. He and Marner are mm-hmm. creating offensive opportunities. But holy cow. That that game on Saturday maybe hinging on a couple of uh, power play goals by the Lightning. That I get it. It's it's Nikita Kucherov and he's pretty good at doing that stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you can't get scored on like twenty seconds into to power plays routinely. And I, so much of penalty killing comes down to goaltending, and and maybe that's two in the same. Like talking about penalty killing. Okay, it's the personnel. Uh, it's maybe your system, uh, but it's it's mostly who's in net during the penalty kill. Yeah, it's it's also who's defending, though. I mean, say what you will about not not number three now, John Klingberg, but last year's number three, Justin Hall. Say what you will, and boy, there were some He's warts. He's a nice start, there were some, He is. There were some warts on the player, but there's a guy who played a ton on your PK last year, and we're all giving Gio credit for the big block he had against Tampa, and yeah, that was nice. Justin Hall did that 10 times a night. That was just his job. That's what he did as part of that unit, and is it nice that you have forwards that are able to jump in lanes and take advantage? It really is, but 
if you're going to jump in lanes and you're going to try to take advantage, occasionally, occasionally, you're going to get burned the other way, and then that's when you need your goaltender or your defenseman to be just that much better. And just look at this Leafs team. Who's supposed to kill penalties on it from a blue line perspective? Okay, TJ Brody, sure. I don't think you look at him and say, yes, that's the guy I absolutely want as my number one guy killing penalties, but on this team, he kind of is. Okay, Timothy Lilligren, you know, say it with me again, everyone. Maybe this can be the year he takes strides in those aspects of his game. Mark Giordano, he does an admirable enough job there, but it's not what you want. Klingberg, obviously he's not killing for you. And Morgan Riley, again, he's capable, but not at all the guy you want in, in that spot. So I think it is a personnel issue and more so with the D than, than the forwards. There just is not one guy back there that you feel super, super confident about killing, let alone two, three, four that you need. Yeah, that's bad. Can Austin Matthews record another point? That'd be nice. It it was fun. What a fun start to the season it was with back-to-back hat tricks. Has has not recorded a point since that. Far, far from concerned about that. He's bringing him off the bar. He looks great. I'm that they will come. I just, I just said it with when we're talking about Ovechkin. They're streaking. This is what happens. He had six in the first two games. Yeah, he's gonna have six next week or something along those lines. If he wants to start tonight, would gladly take it. I could not begin to be less concerned. And I think the thing with Matthews is that. There are times where he hasn't scored for stretches and you are concerned, but that's not what you're seeing with the player right now. He looks so dangerous. He's creating all over the place. He's not only creating for himself, he's creating for others. Mm. The fact that they don't feel like they need to keep someone stapled to that left side, it's not great for what it says about Tyler Bertuzzi, but it is great about what it says about him and Marner and the the malleability of the lineup there. So yeah, I'm, I, I, I get where you're saying. And yes, I would very much like the points to start flowing as well, but as far as concerns, I, and I, I think you're there with me. It's just he's far, far at the bottom of the list. Of course. Again, though, I'd like to see some. like that. Agreed. <laughs> I'd like that. Uh, Callie Yarncroft works on that line. We know that. Uh, he will at least start the game tonight. Works, I think is a better way to say it. Well, not not I, capital I, W, nah, works. But I was looking at the numbers from a season ago, and it's not like the largest sample. But if you're just talking about goals for percentage, five mm-hmm. on five, it's it was Michael Bunting actually below Callie Yarncroft. Longer, with, much larger sample yeah, for Bunting. Of, yeah. of course, uh, right? So it's harder to keep up that percentage. Uh, but it was only William Nylander alongside Austin Matthews that had a higher goals for percentage when they were both on the ice than, than Callie Yarncroft when he was with Austin Matthews. So it it, it works. I know the, the player doesn't it, – it, it feels like Tyler Bertuzzi, obviously, as a former 30-goal no, scorer, I'm has still a sad. higher upside. I'm, just, I'm still sad it's not Zach Hyman or, or Bunting. But you're right. It, Bertuzzi is the guy that makes the most the most sense there. That's just – that's the guy who's always worked is the worker bee type, and Yarncroft can be that for sure. Yep. Uh, Tyler Bertuzzi gets to, to – gets a, a turn, it must be said, on the hotter line right now. Yeah. With John Tavares and William Nylander, although it didn't help Max Domi all that much. Wouldn't but. be the first time this team in the past has turned to Nylander to get somebody going. I, I don't think that's exactly what's happening here. I think that they think Yarncroft is a better fit with Matthews, and obviously we know Domi fit with Nyes and Camp last game, so that just makes the most sense for Bertuzzi. I don't think Keefe is putting Bertuzzi there saying, we got to get him going and Willie's going to do that, but... It is, you know, we think about it as Mitch for that guy, and he's been the team, he's been that guy for this team a lot in terms of getting players going. But Nylander has done that mm-hmm. almost just as much over their kind of careers. That is the beautiful thing about having the two of them on the wing is that one of them is almost always going at any given time, and they can be the kind of, you know, the, the like, ignition for, for whoever you need to get going there. Yeah, uh, we'll see if uh, Tyler Bertuzzi fits in nicely there. We know Max Domi, at least for a, a game, had uh, nice chemistry with Matthew Nyes, and they'll start the game together tonight. Um, as Fraser Mitten, a healthy scratch again. Okay, so it's first day of the NBA season tonight. We, we only scratched the surface mm-hmm. of our 
NBA storylines that we're most looking forward to. I'll get to another one here. And I kind of yeah. I kind of mentioned it before the break that we have these new rest rules that are in place that mm. you got to play 65 games minimum to be eligible for the end of season awards, which is supposed to motivate play, uh, players to to play more games. I will say that again, like some of the 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 thinking around this has been misconstrued or people don't understand that it's not the players who just like desperately want to not do work. Hold on. Hold on. Mostly. Uh, there's too much of a blanketing yeah. of that. There are not a couple guys who are thrilled to have a night uh, off. I've seen those pictures of Michael Beasley on the bench rubbing <laughs> not his own knee, thinking it's his knee, okay? <laughs> Telling me that guy doesn't want a night off sometimes. Okay, it's, okay so you're okay, right. We cannot you're go right. 100%, okay. but finish what you were saying because you're mostly right. Yeah. yeah, that it's generally the teams that are protecting their invest- investments and understanding the postseason is more important than some regular season right. and seeding and... I guess now there's a little bit more motivation to keep yourself out of the the, the play-in tournament and extra games when mm-hmm. it comes to the postseason. But no, it's generally the franchises themselves that have been driving the bus here. So it's one thing to put a rule in place of 65 games. What's going to be interesting in in watching this 82-game season and how this is applied and how the mentality changes this mm-hmm. year is like, is there buy-in from these franchises? Because... The reason we're seeing this is because there's an NBA rights deal that's about to be yes. negotiated very, very soon. And the NBA would like to turn to all interested parties and say, there are no concerns about your marquee games not having the stars in them. Because everybody, we put rules in place, but beyond that, everybody understands what we're in this for. And that's to play to play the most games possible. Not just 65 even. Mm-hmm. It's it's like the goal is 82 and boy, I don't know if we'll ever get there because some of the stars are also uh, injury laden, and like I, I don't think Kevin Durant's playing close to eighty-two. Games. You don't think, eh? Uh, <laughs> I don't think Joel Embiid either. But yeah, it'll be really interesting to see whether it's just like everybody plays exactly sixty-five or like sixty-six, mm. or whether you get a more buy-in from both the players, but more specifically the teams to play closer to 82 games. Yeah, that is uh, that is going to be interesting to see the way it plays out. Of course, the other part of this as well is like the contract implications of a lot of these awards as well. Not ever, you know, we talk about in other leagues of, oh, this guy had an MVP season. He's going to get paid. In the NBA, these things are actual accelerators where your contract goes up 10, 15%, whatever it is. So that's the other interesting, interesting part of it as well. Uh, this is kind of part and parcel with that. And I'm all ready to do a bit of a zag on the rest of the world. I'm so curious about the reaction to the in-season tournament. Mm. Because I think everyone rightfully so has said, nah, no one's going to care about this this year. I agree. I don't think anyone's going to. But, you know, I was looking back at some of the things I hold near and dear to my heart. Like, you know, the Ryder Cup. They've been doing it since 1927. They've only been inviting guys from Spain and stuff since 1979. That wasn't in the grand scheme of things that long ago and I hold that near and dear I revere it especially mm-hmm. it is going to happen not not in the blink of an eye not in five years not in 10 years but maybe sooner than people think that that tournament will become a thing it's not going to be that important it will be I think kind of on par with our sporting interest in early March Madness games of wow this is fun this is interesting I'm very curious to see the reaction to the in-season tournament not just from fans but how teams or look at it. Is there going to be some team that looks at it like a soccer team says, we can win the FA Cup. Like We're not going to win the trouble, but can we actually have a trophy? I am so curious to see how that plays out within sport because I laugh at it too. 
and everyone goes, oh, the FA Cup been around for 100 years. Yeah, it, it wasn't when it started. Right. And they probably laughed at it then. So I think we need more of this stuff. I'm very here for it. I don't know that it works in every sport, but I, I that that's one I'm really, really watching. Yeah, especially when it gets down to single elimination, like the yeah. round robin stuff and what pool you're in. And yeah, who cares? I mean, <laughs> I, I need to see I need to see it play out to truly understand. Like I can tell you what the what the rules are, but I it that, that does nothing to me. I, want, I need to actually see it play out. I want teams to have like, you know how they empower their assistant coaches to coach summer league. Mm-hmm. I would love the idea of a coach, like a coach Darko empowering one of his assistants going, all right, it's your tournament, bud. Yeah. And then it's like, does he have extra investment in it? Because it's his time to shine. I, I would love to see the way this plays out. I'm really, really yeah, curious. And there is, I know it's everybody makes so much money that like even a million bucks seems like irrelevant, but there is a, a financial incentive for these, these teams yeah. to be winning. Plus Delano Banton, if he wants a million bucks. Right. So yeah, yeah, you, you, I'm with you that. Yeah. Everything sounds stupid when it's first proposed, but that's things have to, Start somewhere exactly, and at least it's an attempt to to add some some intrigue to a regular season that hasn't had a ton of it over the years. Um, maybe lastly, I I, oh, I, I got a really good one. Do you okay, really right. love yours? I mean, okay, so I'll I'll let you go as well. Okay, so not lastly, <laughs> Victor Webanyama is no, seven we foot. Same one. Okay, <laughs> he's seven foot five. And yeah, we talked about the Thomas Bryant highlight during the preseason. I, I'm it's the funniest. It is the funniest on field. Like, here's the pizza. There's been other funnier yeah. sports moments. That is among the funniest, just actual sports well, highlights I can think have of. Have you seen the way the Mavericks are preparing for game one against the Spurs tomorrow? <laughs> I have not seen this. Okay, no. they got an assistant coach with like what looks like two the pool noodles. Yeah. Yeah, like up yeah. In, in everybody's face. And you're like, oh, that's ridiculous. No, that's how tall Victor <laughs> Webanyama is. And you don't often see three-pointers blocked in a, in a basketball. Yeah. It's like mind-blowing whenever it happens. I think we're going to see this on on a routine basis from a guy, again, who is foot five, can get his own shot off whenever he wants. It's Health is going to be the number one concern, but... Man, if if he is healthy, yeah. I don't know how this fails for the Spurs. Okay, so I just looked at it a slightly different way, but this was also the biggest thing. You know, there's this guy. Uh, you know, I don't I actually don't know who he plays for now, but he used to play for the Celtics. Maybe still does. Luke Cornett, the mm-hmm. Cornett contest. He does this thing where he does not go out to block shots. He just kind of hangs out at the rim and jumps up and blocks the vision of it with his hands. And apparently, this works. Why wouldn't Victor Wembanyama just do that? But he doesn't have to jump. He could just stand there and put his hand up. The dimensions, we talk about this with guys like Steph Curry when they first came Mm -hmm. in, that he changes the dimensions of the floor. We see it with Tyreek Hill in football where he changes the geometry of ways people have to defend. This is just something we've not seen. I mean, I remember Yao. That was different. This is different than Yao. And there were guys that were kind of more somewhat like Yao in the in the NBA. We don't have anybody remotely approaching this. Uh, the thing I'm kind of seeing, the way I phrase it is, how quickly does he join the club? With Connor Bedard, we he's basically in the green room right now. It's okay, hey, go have your 50-point season or your 50-goal season. The second you do that, you're in. You're shaking hands. And it's, is Victor Wembanyama going to join it? The first day of the regular season when he goes out and has a 30-point triple-double with blocks and rebounds or something along those lines, mm-hmm. anything is in the cards for this guy. I'm so excited. I don't want to be this guy, but we have to enjoy it. Every second of it, we get it because I'm sorry. There's just no way this isn't ending with catastrophic injury at some point in time. Yeah. There's just no way that doesn't happen to a guy built like that. So enjoy it while it's here. It's, man. it's like in, in all of pro sports, they, they're – 
there is a a a uniformity of of athlete, right? Like totally. To get someone that is so entirely different, like if it, it's like having a guy with a third arm, right? Like it's like, oh, what is a go? What is he going to do with that arm? Like what, what? Yeah, he is. He's a different human than the rest of the insanely tall humans. That that he's doing things. It's almost like when Steph Curry started spotting up from that's thirty I mean, feet, yeah. right? Like that's that what? Uh? The sport has changed, like. Is the sport not forever changed because of the things that Victor Webanyama is is going to be able to do just from a physical perspective? Well, when we talk about Shohei Otani, rightfully so, as a unicorn, he does things baseball players do. They right. just don't do both of them. Right. We've never no. ever seen this. And again, it's just he's going to be a true the word unicorn alien. It gets thrown around so much. Generational talent. What we need a new word for this guy. He is he's truly extraterrestrial. I know it's just like a synonym for alien, but yeah. <laughs> let me let me get by with it. It is it is remarkable just seeing him, being in awe of him. I can only imagine what it would like to be in a gym and just watch him. And that that's the other part of it. He's so graceful. It doesn't make sense that he moves the way he does. And then the last thing on it for for me is just the it's so cool the kind of lineage of the Spurs big men that they all look like evolutions of one another, like Robertson little or Robinson a little shorter, little more or a lot more Jack than than Tim Duncan. Tim Duncan little taller, little skinnier, and now you have the tallest, skinniest guy ever. I mean, what's it gonna look like when Giannis, one of the the best defenders in the NBA, is guarding Victor Webanyama on the perimeter and he just like shoots over top of him because he's six inches taller than him? Like, see, I go the other way. I'm like, <laughs> what's it gonna look like when somebody with Giannis's muscle mass goes bowling uh, I, into Victor Webanyama? How's that gonna go? Yeah, I'm so curious about it all. Yeah, can't wait. But so far, so good as far as the health is concerned. All right, time now for. Something to chew on brought to you by Great Canadian Meat. Speaking of Giannis, he has agreed to a three-year, $186 million contract extension that will pay him an average of over, obviously, quick math, over $60 million per year, which, uh, you know, okay, that's that's a lot of money. Don't and, tell anyone and I in get the it. NHL. Yeah, and, and, and your, your dad is probably talking about how... Uh, absurd that amount of money is and it is an absurd a lot of angry dads um amount of money but i love this tweet from joe pompliano on on twitter that you could argue that Giannis is worth more than two billion dollars to the bucks like the the math is obvious bucks average attendance before Giannis 2013 13,487 Last season, 17,555. Annual revenue in 2013, 110 million for the Bucks. 2022, 352 million dollars. The the franchise valuation in 2013, 10 years ago, 312 million. Bucks now valued at three and a half billion dollars. So I, I know what you're saying that all NBA franchises have gone up an exponential mm -hmm. amount. Not as much as the Bucks. Between 2013 and 2022. The average NBA team, its valuation has gone up 462%. The Milwaukee Bucks, 1,021%. The average Bucks playoff game also bringing the city of Milwaukee $3 million in economic activity, fills 2,500 hotel room nights, and creates 700 jobs. Ike, he's underpaid. Yeah, they all they all are. I mean, honestly, you, you lay out the numbers there. And the team valuation stuff, I think that is interesting because I had that exact thought of I don't even include the team valuation stuff because everybody's been been buoyed by the the rising tide that is NBA money right now. 
it is ridiculous what he means. And this is what these guys mean to franchises who I don't want to say have never had them. You know, Oscar Robertson, Kareem, these guys matter, but not in a 21st century world where it looks like this and money's flooding in from Greece and China and all over the world. And, you know, it just you you look at it and it, what a guy means like that. We did the whole thing with LeBron and the homecoming there and everything it meant. Now, obviously, that was their first one. They'd never won. The Bucks did have a little bit of history with that. But, yeah, how can you how can you not look at that? And also, if you're Masai Ujiri, how can you not look at that and have a little bit of the Frank Saravelli womp womp in yeah. your heart? Well, for sure. And, and boy, this, this has played out twice the exact same way. First time he made veiled threats about, hey, I don't know how long I'm going to be in Milwaukee and I got to make sure I get a commitment here. They go out and pull off the trade for Drew Holiday. He signs the extension. Yeah. New York Times article this past offseason was one of the storylines of the NBA coming into this year. Immediately, they make the trade for Dame Lillard, puts his uh, pen to paper on a contract extension. This is this is the way it it, it, it goes for, for Giannis and, and most superstars in the NBA. Well, it must be said exactly that player empowerment can go that way. There's a lot of talk of, hey, player empowerment, what are you going to do? These players have their say about, and yeah, it's true, and they should, quite frankly. Of course, players should have a say in where they play and how they want their careers to play out. It can look like that of being loyal to a place and saying get better and the team actually fulfilling Mm -hmm. those promises, not once, but now twice to do it. So that I, I think it just must be noted when everybody says this. Now, obviously, Giannis is maybe a different uh, like a a different guy in terms of this and that he had no regard to want to move around I imagine Jokic is pretty similar and you know we have these conversations in lots of sports of different players value different things but it it must be noted that just because we're living a player empowerment world and yeah a lot of times it goes the James Harden route Mm -hmm. doesn't have to it you actually can't just stay with your team and force them to get better that's right. Yeah, you can put the screws to them and you cannot specifically say what move you want made yeah. Um, because, yeah, generally the the, the basketball executive are yeah. going to make the smart move. Uh, the Dame Lillard trade looks pretty good for the Milwaukee I'd Bucks. Uh, yeah, and, and boy, it does feel like Giannis is going to spend his entire career in Milwaukee, which I wouldn't have, wouldn't have wagered on five years ago. No. All right, when we come back. I don't know if I would have wagered on the Rangers being into the World Series after they lost game 162 to a Mariners team that had nothing to play for. I had to go on the road to a wild card series uh, that they didn't intend on playing. But here they are on an incredible run awaiting the winner of the National League Championship Series. We'll talk to John Morosi of MLB Network next as the Fan Morning Show continues. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Dive deep into Toronto sports and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkus podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Do you know what we got coming up? By the way, Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, Fan Ben Adams, Frank Gunning. Sports Equinox. Oh. You got all four major North American pro sports playing at the same time. This is going to take place during the World Series, which will involve the Texas Rangers against either the Philadelphia Phillies or the 84-win Arizona Diamondbacks with a couple of notable former Blue Jays on their roster who forced a Game 7 with their win in Game 6 yesterday in Philadelphia. Let's talk to uh, John Morosi of MLB Network. 
How's it going, John? Good morning. Ben and Brent, good morning from Philly. Uh, it is a holiday. Anytime you got a game seven, <laughs> it is an international holiday, I would say, and I cannot wait for this evening. Yeah, first ever game seven in Philly's franchise history, which is a little bit bizarre for a franchise that's as, as uh, long and storied as, as that Philly's uh, team is, but I, I get it. There, there didn't used to be a bunch of uh, postseason games, um, but they're going to play in their first one. Tonight uh, against the Diamondbacks. Okay, so let's let's I guess start with uh, with that uh, game seven in that series. Considering that you're in Philadelphia, it, it just feels like one team. Despite the fact that they they are not the the Braves, they didn't win the National League East. The the Phillies were in the World Series a season ago. They have the way higher payroll. They're a win now team. Has all the pressure in the world on it going into this game. And the other team in the Diamondbacks, I mentioned it, 84 wins. They lost the last four games of the regular season. They're they're starting their their uh, tenure as as a postseason team in in the National League has like no no worries at all going into this game. It's hard for me to shake that, John. It is an amazing matchup, and the, the way that I was thinking about it last night is this is like watching a, if you're watching a soccer game between the one team that's got all the all the attacking players. And and they've got all these chances at goal and can't capitalize. And the other team is just a brilliant counterattack team, and is not conceding the goal. And and all of a sudden they're just at a stalemate after 90 minutes. And that's what we've got right here. It's it is uh, you've got all the talent on the Philadelphia side with respect to the just the depth of the lineup. You've got Bryce Harper. You've got Kyle Schwarber with his, with his pedigree. And then on on the D back side, they've all just proven they've proven out of the baseball world. That if you're watching this this series, you're realizing how talented the D-backs are too. We just didn't know it maybe in the same quantity when the series began. It's it's a really unique way that they're playing. It's it's a lot of defense. I think we're seeing Alec Thomas really emerge uh, as as one of the stars of of this series. Catal uh, Marte has shown why he once upon a time finished in the top five of an MVP. Tommy Pham was was benched. Uh, in game five, he comes back and it's a home run in game six to put the D-backs ahead to stay. It, it, it's just a really, really unique series. And yes, the former Jays have played great for the D-backs. That, that's an obvious storyline, and it's not just a storyline in Toronto. It's a storyline everywhere, that, that that trade and what it meant for the D-backs, how they've been able to play. It's just they're they're a very easy team to like, to be honest. The Phillies are, too, for my opinion. I think we've got two really good really likable teams that are that are playing a really good brand of baseball but i don't think many people around uh, around the sport many people outside of arizona thought that we would be at a at a game 7 in this series but the full credit to the diamondbacks they they've earned their way here yes the the phillies bullpen wobbled in in games 3 and 4 to to make it possible but the D-backs have earned this, and, and I think they've earned a lot of respect along the way to where I think the baseball world realizes just how, how great they are. And honestly, their manager, Tori Lovello, who uh, for a time obviously was a Jays coach, he has had a magnificent series. Yeah, I mean, you, you can see the respect that, that Lavallo gets uh, throughout the game. I mean, I think it was at the beginning of that Dodgers series when Betts crashed his, his presser and said, ah, this guy who raised me in Boston, I had to, I had to come say hello. So, yes. yeah, like you, you, see, you see the respect he gets throughout, throughout the league. You know, obviously there's a ton of storylines from this postseason, and here in Toronto it's been so focused on, on Moreno, and right, rightfully so, but Gurriel has come through in such a big, big way. I mean, I don't know that we always think of baseball in this way, especially when it's guys in that more kind of mid-tier as opposed to the 
superstar level, but how much money has Lourdes Gurriel Jr. made himself? I mean, the book on him, whether it was fair or not, coming out of Toronto is, hey, guy who can have a hot month, and if you're a team that needs a little more fun in your life, he's probably great, but if you're a serious winning organization, maybe not the guy for you. And again, I'm, I'm not saying that was fair, but that was definitely the perception, at least here. How, how much do you think Gurriel's maybe changed his perception or, or cemented it in a different way with this postseason? Well, I, I I believe this, and this is one of the one of the storylines that I've come to know, and and just through covering the game, and and getting to know some personalities, he's got a really mellow way about him at at this time of year. We had a nice talk before the game yesterday, and I, I, we were sort of smiling about how uh, his brother, of course, had played and defeated uh, the Phillies last year in, in the World Series, and I was asking him about. If, if he had gotten any advice from from Yuli, and he kind of smiled and said, "There, you know, there, the, I, I can't really say yes or no what what advice he's given me." Sort of laughing about it, like he's he's not he's not stressed. And, and this is where, guys, this is a, a really tense time of year, and when you are a loose and relaxed player and a loose and relaxed team, you are dangerous, and that's where. I think in a lot of ways he typifies the way this team has played. He's a really strong defensive left fielder, as you, as you know. The power has come along. And I think the point that I, that I make in a, in a global sense here is when, when, you've, when you've grown up through the Cuban baseball system, first of all, you've played a lot of high-level international games. And, and when you are a, a teenage player and you're playing in a, in a World Cup, uh, U18 World Cup, whatever it might be, uh, that is immense pressure. The expectation to win on the Cuban team is always so high. And so when you dealt with that kind of pressure as a 17-year-old, 16-year-old player, and then the inherent life pressure of, of leaving your homeland to start a new life somewhere else, and then you st- and then you say, well, how much pressure do you feel in a game seven? Well, not much, to be honest with you, because those two things I mentioned earlier, the the, the heavy human weight of leaving your country to start a, a, a new and better life in, in North America, and then the other pressure that you faced when you were just a kid to, to try to win because your your whole country expects you to win – all of a sudden playing a baseball game right now is not very, not very difficult. Mm-hmm. And I think that that perspective I think is really important. And, and again, look, look at the stories of the, of the players who have, who have impacted in this, this playoff series. We just saw game seven between the Rangers and Astros, Adelise Garcia, Jordan Alvarez, both from Cuba. It's just, it's, it is to me, it is in Randy Rosarena, one of the great stars of the postseason in the last several years. It is it is no surprise to me that when players emerge from those circumstances, uh, for all the reasons I just mentioned, that they get to October and they and they shine. And it, it makes when you think about their life journey, it makes absolute sense. And uh, I think you're seeing uh, Lourdes just thrive, and, and it, it does it really does not surprise me that he's that he's been this poised and this effective in the biggest games of the year. No, it's a great, great point. Yeah, I mean, what does Adelis Garcia care about, you know, a bunch of screaming fans when he's at the plate when, yeah, it's 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 a little different life scenario as far as pressure is concerned than hitting a baseball, which he's done very, very well, by the way, John. Uh, sets the Major League Baseball postseason record with 15 RBIs over the seven-game series against the, the defending champion Houston Astros. Um, he was a guy that, you know, even when the Rangers were running 
through the Blue Jays with four straight victories in September was not part of that lineup. It was still a formidable one, but his reinsertion in it has turned it up to a, a different level. You mentioned the Randy Arozarena postseason with the Rays a couple of years ago. That kind of alerted us to his presence on the national stage. Is the same thing happening for Garcia right now? Yes, and and by the way, they're very close friends, which is which makes it even more unique uh, to to make that point. But he, he he seems like, and to your point, when when you've got that much animosity against you for two straight days in Houston, and you just deliver and deliver and deliver, that is that is iconic stuff. That is in in sports when you when you arrive there as the villain and you thrive and and win uh it, it is the stuff of legend and uh first of all just look at his physicality how strong of an athlete he is it's just he's he is so much fun to watch at, at work and his story and, and my friend Jeff Passon reminded us all this last night he was acquired in a cash exchange like he, he was acquired for cash in, in, in like the final days of, of 2019, it was just a, uh, the, the kind of a move that gets mentioned on page 7D of the sports section in, in small type. <laughs> that was the kind of deal that, that brought him to Texas. And my goodness, first of all, the Cardinals wish they had him now. And, and second of all, uh, just what a delight to watch. Just his, his athleticism, the strength. Uh, and and I I think they've they've got someone who's going to make an impact on that team for a long time. I just I, I love watching them play. You can't you can't take your eyes off him when you're watching him because of just the the tools that he's got and the ability to execute in the big spot. So he's now entered that that phase of one of the great playoff runs ever. Uh, a no doubt ALCS MVP. I, I love that on the Fox broadcast as I was watching it, Joe Davis was basically saying in the seventh eighth that. Ninth inning, okay, he's going to be the MVP, which is usually typically pretty hard to say as the play-by-play person of a game, but it was just so obvious. It was so obvious that Joe was able to go there, which you don't often do, but I think in this circumstance it was both appropriate and and very safe to say that that was where this was going to wind up with Adelis Garcia on the dais as the ALCS MVP. Yeah, I mean, we were talking about how just forever revered he'll, he'll be now. I mean, you know, I think back to, you know, I made the point of Marco Estrada, who had a, like, like I, don't, I don't want to undersell it, but I also don't want to overstate it either. He had a few nice starts in the postseason for the Blue Jays. They were really, really strong, but it wasn't a, you know, a 10-year track record or anything. You have one good postseason and, hey, one great series like that. It's, it's amazing the way uh, you, you could be a legend forever. And obviously it's possible he has at least one more uh, in him. They, they certainly would like that. Uh, so a bunch of reports coming out about Dusty Baker regarding his retirement. I'm not sure if you have any more insight on that or if you can clarify. But the question I have about Baker and the Astros is should they should they need to find a new manager for next year? What does who they hire for that job tell us about what is valued in terms of managers? I mean, we've had so much conversation here regarding everything that happened with Schneider and who's really pulling the strings. Obviously, a pretty different scenario when it's a guy like Dusty Baker. Do you think we'll be able to learn uh, much or anything about how kind of baseball and specifically winning teams view the manager's job in 2024, I guess, by the, by the time they're making this decision for who the next Astros manager is if, they are in, if, if Dusty Baker is indeed stepping down. Right. It's it's going to be a very interesting decision. Obviously, first and foremost, we'll, we'll wait to hear Dusty's final decision. It doesn't doesn't totally surprise me 
that this is where things went uh, last night. Uh, obviously, the, the report from the Athletic and the immediate aftermath of the game, uh, and we'll wait to hear what Dusty's thoughts are here moving forward. But he was not under contract for next year. He he had spent four years with them. He had won a World Series. He got to another one. He got to the ALCS every single year. If you're not realizing how great of a manager he is by now, then I'm not sure what what anybody could say. He's going to be in the Hall of Fame as soon as he's eligible. There's no question about that. So it's going to be a huge loss, I think, for the for the Astros because of what he did and came in in a situation when very few people were willing and ready to take that job. He did. Uh, I think that we'll to answer your question. We'll see in a big way. Uh, how Jim Crane wants to proceed. He's a very involved owner, as we know. But also, th- there's there's a pretty, as much as they were built on this analytical concept, uh, going back to Jeff Luno and his tenure there, don't forget, Dana Brown is uh, is their GM, and Dana has a lot of old-school scout in him. You know him. Of course, he worked for the Blue Jays for a long time. He was a college teammate of Craig Biggio at Seton Hall going back decades Jeff Bagwell has a big voice. Jeff Bagwell is an older school player, I would describe. So you've got uh, – there's a pretty healthy old school element to this to this team. Um, is, is this a spot for John Gibbons uh, where John might get a look? I mean, this is, this is the kind of a team that if, if Gibby's going to manage again, it, it probably is this type of an organization at this type of a time. Veteran team uh, that, that – I think John could step into and, and do a very good job of managing. Now, if they want, if they just want to go with a, a younger, perhaps a little more analytical, do they go with Joe Espada? They know him well. Joe's interviewed a lot of different places, but the Astros know him the best. And so uh, I, I tend to think if he's ever going to be the guy, it would be here and now that that's, that's the spot for him. But uh, again, John Gibbons is someone that I would keep in mind. I, I think wow. he, deserves deserves an interview and uh of course he's a, a proud texan it wouldn't surprise me at all if that's where he goes i i could see that that fit being a very natural one for john and uh i do think he'll get some consideration there yeah and, and john gibbons knows what an advanced stat is right like he, he understands analytics it's it's he's not the most analytically inclined manager you would think of um but i i wonder john to to brent's point like if we're we're getting to a moment of of self-reflection for Major League Baseball that like obviously numbers aren't going to go anywhere and I wouldn't want them to go anywhere and they're important and and yeah knowledge is power okay that's that's all well and good but it is telling that two the two oldest managers in Major League Baseball just met in the American League Championship Series and it's it's hard not to point to Bruce Bochy and and maybe some decisions that aren't as obvious as far as numbers are concerned during the postseason is that that being a valued asset that kind of got forgotten about the experience factor is is there a potential re reimagining of of the manager position and and all sports are copycat league the, the fact that a couple of older older veteran managers that are not the young uh, analytical no offense to Kevin Cash type but like Kevin Cash that it's older dudes that are having success here maybe. Yeah, it, it, uh, signaling a, a change in mentality at that position. I think it's very possible. And and one thing I would say is that the the best managers that I see now are those that know how to blend both. 
and and they they speak both languages, the analytical language and and the older school language. Because eventually, at the end of the day, the longer I cover this sport, the more the more I realize that this is about giving the the right amount of of actionable information to to very very talented players. This is already the top one percent of the one percent. These are people that are playing in the major leagues. They're all talented. Give them just a little bit of a nudge in one direction or another, a little bit of a kernel of information that will help them make a decision in the fraction of a fraction of a second that it takes to decide if you're going to swing or not. And for the most part, that's 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 a key part of the job. And and then aside from that, it's it's setting the culture, it's providing a framework to support, it's it's making sure that there's accountability and, and a lot of those other elements. But the, the analytical part of it, I, I think, I, I'll say this: I don't think I don't think analytics are overrated. I think that we overrate the importance of the manager speaking that as as his or her first language, right? Yeah. Because if you want the information, you have there are people in the organization that can give you that information. They're there. Then if if you if you want to know all the numbers, believe me. You'll be able to find the numbers in 30 out of 30 teams. It's there. But if, at the end of the day, ninth inning comes up, I, I'm not sure when the, when the manager sends you up to pinch hit if the, the word is going to be, hey, check out the, the RPM on the, the, on the curveball or slider. I, I think it's more, more along the lines of, I trust you. You got this. I, yeah. I believe in you here. That's – I. I would say that's the last thing you're going to tell the player before the steps in the box. So I, I just think that we, we are probably for a long time overrating the importance of, of the manager delivering that analytical information. And I look around, look at Brian Snitker winning a world series. Look at dusty, look at Bochi, Tori Lovello, I think speaks both languages pretty well. Mm. Um, I'd point out that he, you know, Tori has been very candid about, he he pulled Brandon Fought early. By the way, Brandon Fought now starts Game Seven. Uh, he he benched Tommy Pham for a day and basically came back yesterday and said, "I believe based on some information and analytics, what what we're looking at, he's going to have a good day today." Sure enough, it's a home run. So there's there's a way to to occupy both lanes, I think. And to me, increasingly, the organizations that are doing well have a leader who understands how to lead often without numbers, mm-hmm. but the numbers are available at some point in the process. That I believe is the, is the, the secret sauce that leads us to success right now in major league baseball. Yeah. Cause in the end we're dealing with human beings, uh, playing right. a sport. Uh, John, uh, always a pleasure. Enjoy Philadelphia tonight. Yeah, I can't wait guys. Game seven. And, uh, you know, the next time we talk, we'll get a bit more into, the, the, the wings march to the postseason because looking pretty good. Dynamic. I don't know. All right. Settle down. Liking it. Yeah, the most cider's good. Everything else. Uh, we'll see. All right. Thanks, All right. Morosi. Uh, thanks so much, guys. I appreciate <laughs> it. Thank you. See you. There's John Morosi, MLB Network. Yeah, plus 15 uh, goal differential leading the National Hockey League. Surely it'll hold. Surely it'll hold. No, surely it'll hold. Listen, they're having a fun little time there in Detroit. Good for uh, them. They deserve it. 10 Hockey points. Town, USA. Five and one. Bet they have a primetime slot tonight, let me tell you. Uh, you know what? I, I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah, of course. All right, time now for the Wake and Rake, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local. Maple Leafs, hey, 6 o'clock is still primetime. 
Okay, it's not the primiest of prime time. I think it's the the start of prime time. Six o'clock, Maple Leafs against the Washington Capitals and the Leafs, as is their want, despite being on the road, but the Caps off to a horrible start, are the heavy favorites. Minus 175 on the money line, the Capitals plus 145. The total six and a half with the over... You got to pay the juice in the over minus one twenty. I like the under in this game. Like Caps can't score. Mm-hmm. I guess they're going to have their breakout eventually. But Joe Walls look good, even in in the loss um, he had against the Chicago. Like he's looked good. He looked spectacular in relief on Saturday. Caps can't score. I I I, I like under six and a half, especially when you get that at, at even odds plus a hundred, as opposed to the juice minus one twenty on the over. Yeah, I I got to be honest that I'd be staying away from the total there. I just look at the Leafs and the spread. Normally, I do not look at hockey games this way, but I just think the Leafs they had their little clicking game in on on Saturday against Tampa. There, they're they're right. Uh, Washington is the polar opposite right now. I think the Leafs win it somewhat handily. Whether that's whether that's five one or whether that's three one, I think it's going to be one of those. Just a handy kind of two three yeah. goal lead. Yeah. Five one under the six I, and a I half. Know. That's what I'm saying. Like the Caps aren't going to score in this game. Yeah, Leafs might though. Yeah, that, you can never count out the Leafs going nuclear. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. But I think with Joe Wall and Net, like they'll they'll be pretty Washington capable. Washington won't. Very fair. Of, of uh, limiting the Washington Capitals' offense, and then uh, Game Seven. Diamondbacks and Phillies, Ranger Suarez against Brandon fought as it is the uh, Phillies minus 175 on the money line and the Diamondbacks plus 145. Man, I, I know the Phillies are the better team and they have the more formidable uh, formidable offense, but Brandon fought was really damn good mm-hmm. in his last appearance and it's all hands on deck for the Diamondbacks. It's a lot of juice to be laying for for a team at home, and I, I get it in Game 7. That's supposed to be a massive advantage. I mean, just look at the playoffs to this point. Mm-hmm. How much of an advantage has it been? I, I, I like the underdog Diamondbacks, honestly, if I'm if I'm going one way, and I, I guess maybe you hedge your bets a little bit with the plus one and a half on, on the run line. Mm. Yeah, I would. When I, it's funny. We look at these games opposite. I just look to the to the total there. I, I think you take the under. D-back struggled to hit Suarez. Is going to get the ball for the Phillies tonight. Not that the Phillies struggle to score, but I think they're going to be putting up the bulk of runs in, in this one. So for me, I actually, I look at the total there, eight and a half, and uh, you got to pay a touch at minus 115, but give it to me there. Brandon fought uh, 12 and two thirds innings, given up just three runs in uh, the postseason so far. Uh He's, he's got a good shot to, to limit the Phillies' offense. All right, that was The Wake and Rake, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book. Bet local. When we come back, Leafs caps tonight. Sportsnet 590, the fan. We'll get back into it, and we'll talk to our pal Colby Armstrong next as the fan morning show continues. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, the fan.